Okay, we're ready, we're back, and here we go. At one stage, um, shortly after objects were seen heading towards DC, over 500 people on the ground observed uh, this strange object hovering north-northwest of the city, uh, including a physics professor from George Washington University who says that during the eight minutes this object was in sight, instead it came down so low that downtown buildings were obscured from his view. So that I find an interesting um, aspect of, of the, the DC sightings, that one actually came down that low. You talked about these these giant craft. I think I can't remember where it is exactly in in the book, but I thought it was in relation to the Washington D.C. Uh, overflights, where these things like like the giant craft from Independence Day or something were were, were way up in the sky. That's absolutely or, right. This is according to Major Donald Kehoe, who who was a, a hero of mine, and he was responsible um, indirectly for for stimulating my interest in the subject back in 1955. He discovered that. Um, during the period UFOs were being tracked in the D.C. area, gigantic objects were tracked orbiting Earth. Two of them, he says, came down between Washington and Baltimore and hovered at around 79,000 feet. And this is what uh, he, he, he told uh, journalist Bob Pratt, whom I knew is a very, very good journalist. This is what Kehoe says. I, 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 um, I talked with one of the pilots who was in the jet squadron that was trying to get up near one of those things. And he said, I've never been more terrified in my life. Just to look at that thing, you could tell that you'd be crazy to go up there and try and shoot at it. Thank God we couldn't get up that close. <laughs> Later on, he had a friend who told me, yeah, I was there and I was scared too. I don't know any of the pilots that were involved who weren't scared just seeing those huge damn things. Like but it's um, it is sort of like the imagery from Independence Day, those yes. gigantic mile-long ships, and the smaller Absolutely. ones would, yeah. Okay, uh, Tim, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, I, we're going to talk about some of uh, the comments from pilots about the DC overflights, what they weren't told, and when they were sent up to go against these things. Uh, I'm George Knapp on Coast to Coast AM. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Coast to Coast AM, everyone. I'm George Knapp. I jumped the gun there a little bit. We're talking with uh, Tim Good. Um, and the author of a book called Need to Know about military encounters uh, with UFOs. And, Tim, we were talking about the July 1952 overflights of Washington when a lot of American warplanes were sent up to, to pursue these, these UFOs, these objects. In your book, you mentioned that the pilots are, are, you know, there are some comments from pilots who are very upset uh, that they weren't told the truth about what they were going up there to chase, right? Yeah. Would you elaborate on on what it was, what what their concerns were? I mean, were they close enough to see these things uh, uh, to be concerned about what it was that they're going up against? Well, uh, uh, absolutely. I mean, um, I'm quite sure that footage was taken with with gun cameras at that time. But um, the the, th the whole thing had to be downplayed. There's absolutely no no question about this. And. Um, so the pilots were, were very unhappy that um, a lot of their reports were being publicly discredited when they knew that all these, all these things were, were going on. And um, we know that, uh, you know, General Benjamin Chidlaw, who was former commanding general of um, 
what was then called Air Defense Command, said, you know, in 1953 that um, we take this stuff seriously when you consider we have lost many men and planes trying to intercept them. And this, of course, is one of the big secrets. And it was confirmed. um, I I mentioned the statistics of the 1,773 unexplained accidents from 52 to 56. According to Leonard Stringfield, um, whom I knew, a great researcher and former um, Air Force intelligence officer, he was told by a reliable source at that time that the Air Force was losing about a plane a day to the UFOs, and that absolutely tallied. You know that apps and websites are collecting your data. You know that some devices are... With with the Defense Department statistics, which uh, published in in my book for the first time, thanks to... uh, uh, Richard Hall and his informant, Dr. Dr. Fontes in Brazil. You know, I remember uh, reading your, your book, Above Top Secret, long ago, and there was a photo of Winston Churchill in there, and a quote from him is saying, you know, ordering uh, the Ministry of Defense, I guess, hey, what's the deal on the UFOs? But until I read this new book, I didn't understand the context. His comments were were inspired by the D.C. overflights, or was it something else? Yes, it was by the D.C. overflights, absolutely. What does all this stuff about flying saucers mean? You know, what's what's uh, what's the truth? Let me have a report at your convenience. Um, that's off the top of my head. It was something like that, and they came back, Prime Minister, don't worry. Well, we've, we've made an investigation in conjunction with the Americans. They were re- referring, of course, to the top-secret Flying Saucers Working Party, as it was called in Great Britain, wonderful title, which was established in 1950 uh, for one year. Uh, They liaised with the Americans, and the object of the exercise, in my opinion, was the Americans were trying to get the Brits to discredit as many, especially the really good caliber sightings coming from pilots. I mean, we had sightings here in the 50s, in the very early 50s, prior to Washington, that... um, uh, there were sightings over Farnborough. Um, sort of major test pilots were seeing these things at, at, Farm, at Farnborough, the Royal Aircraft Establishment at Farnborough in Hampshire. And um, at low level, a craft came right over, I've, I've described this in the book, came right over the airfield seen by many officers, including these test pilots, on the ground. And this thing wasn't, it was at about... I don't know, no more than a thousand feet, something like that. And it was it was metallic. It was making uh, crackling sounds. There was a smell of ozone. There was a humming sound, and so on and so forth. And they, when they all the, the people from the Flying Saucers Working Party came to investigate, they took details very seriously and everything. And officially, the report was that the pilots had mistaken um, just conventional aircraft, so they were discredited. They were absolutely livid when they found out later on when when the the British government uh, released uh, some of these reports about the British flying saucers. Wasn't there there something involving Lord Montbatten? Uh, He had an interest in the phenomena, maybe something about something landing on his home? Uh, Absolutely, yes. Um, Gosh, this was was in the mid-1950s. I think it was around 1955-56 when, um, according to one of his staff, a craft came down and a sort of section lowered from it and a humanoid was seen and um, this witness was actually sort of knocked off his bicycle in, in shock it was in snow at that time and he went he, he was encouraged to tell his boss Lord Mountbatten who came out to the site with him and saw the tracks uh, of the bicycle where it had come down and everything and um, Mountbatten believed that story 
Um, it's just one of many such stories, and I think certainly that in uh, inspired his interest, though I'm, I'm quite sure, according to my information, Mountbatten had a sighting um, in the Pacific Ocean during World War II. I remember, uh, and maybe it's from this book, maybe it's from an earlier book, that, uh, that there was some suspicion that Mountbatten may have been a source for Dorothy Kilgallen, the American journalist who, who, who was pursuing the UFO yes. mystery? I wouldn't be at all surprised. I don't know for sure, but um, I, I think it's quite likely. Uh, while we're on the subject of, of British uh, UFO incidents and famous cases, the Rendlesham Forest case. Um, I don't know if you heard earlier uh, today in this program, I mentioned that Jacques Vallée had been in town here with the Remote Viewers Association, and I'd read something from Dr. Vallée about Rendlesham. He said that, uh, that he, he was suspicious about that case because he, he believes that radar operators at this military base uh, near where this incident had occurred, had been told a couple of days beforehand, hey, uh, keep an eye on the sea or what's going to come from the sea, his suspicion being that it may have been a manufactured incident. What's your take? Well, uh, well, I don't know is the answer to that. I mean, that may there may be some truth in that. What I can tell you is that about 10 days prior to the craft coming down, because Roswell... Uh, so, sorry, the, the uh, Rendlesham Forest case, which uh, involved uh, the twin U.S. Air Force bases of Bentwaters and Woodbridge, took place st starting on sort of Christmas night, 25, 26, 27, 20. It was going on for several nights, and whatever it was, this thing came came right down so low that the, 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 the um, U.S. Air Force security policemen um, actually uh, were able to touch it at one stage uh, with their feet. Right. They, were, they were following it around the forest. I mean, it's an incredible case. And Nick Pope, who, who headed the UFO um, department uh, in the Ministry of Defense from 1991 to 1994, he's absolutely convinced that uh, this was from somewhere else. Um, and at one stage, um, unofficially, at one stage, this craft, or one of the craft, was beaming down lights at the nuclear weapons storage area. Um, at these U.S. Air Force bases, and there were more nuclear weapons stored in Suffolk, in Great Britain, than anywhere else in, in, in Europe at that time, in December of 1980. But I'd also like to add, George, that on the 15th of December, this is 10 days prior to Woodbridge Bentwaters, an identical craft was seen right over my area. I saw it myself. Oh Not for long, unfortunately, and it was one of those rare occasions when I didn't have a camera with me or a movie camera. But I did see this brilliant point of light in the sky, and I wondered what on earth it was. It didn't, it was, it didn't seem like an aircraft reflect. It was completely cl uh, cloudless sky. But to cut a long story short, the next day I was told by a journalist that uh, many people had seen for an, uh, an hour and a quarter at least an object in the sky and they were with, with binoculars. It was an elongated tri sort of triangular thing. Frequently, um, sections would come away from it and then regroup and it would dart around the sky and then stay in one position for, for many minutes and I'm sure that's the identical description of, of the craft that was seen in Bentwaters Woodbridge ten days later so I don't know about that story from Valet but I can add that, that part to it and movie film uh, sorry video film was actually taken of that uh, craft as well unfortunately it, um, video was in its infancy in, in 1980 so the zoom range was, was very restricted so, so there's not you can't really see that much apart from a, a brilliant point of light but Tim you're killing me you had, you had a UFO sighting? 
I say, when I got home, actually, I mean, because I, I, I've got, you know, cameras, zoom lenses, movie, the whole lot, telescope. Of course, that very minute, the thing decided to disappear. I'm, I swear they knew I was coming. You're, yeah, very, you're very killing me. I mean, I, as long as I've been in this field, I've never seen anything remotely like a UFO, and I'm uh, I'm jealous, man. <laughs> well, I, I, if only if only I had had you know binoculars and everything else with me, then we would have got some. I could have got some great pictures, possibly. Back to the Rendlesham Forest thing for just a moment. You know, I have great respect for Dr. Valet, and and uh, suspect that maybe he knows a little something there. But if this were in fact a a manufactured incident, a counterintelligence move or a, a debunking move. Uh, you know, it was done at a, at a top secret military base. It was never meant to be made public. And it took a heck of a lot of effort to get any of the details out into the public arena. So I, it's hard to figure out what you know, you know, they would Charles have been doing. Holt, Charles Holt, who was the deputy base commander of, of both the twin air force bases at that time. And, and uh, interestingly, he lives in Woodbridge, Virginia. <laughs> which uh, I find amusing. And, yeah. um, uh, he, he was absolutely livid, and I discussed this with him um, in person. He said, you know, this is your government's business. It didn't happen on our territory. It happened in Rendlesham Forest, which is just <laughs> outside the Twin Air Force bases. You know, it's your problem. And he never got any kind of response from the Ministry of Defence at all about it. So you would have thought, if that was a counterintelligence exercise, as, as Valley suggests, uh, uh, you would think that the deputy base commander at, at least should have been informed of the event prior to Abs Absolutely. Tim Good, stick around. We've got another half an hour of conversation with uh, Tim, and then later on we'll be opening it up to your questions. Uh, I'm George Knapp on Coast to Coast AM. I'm George Knapp. I'm uh, talking with uh, author Timothy Good, uh, who has written this new book, uh, blockbuster book, Need to Know. Uh, Tim, uh, the, a lot of you uh, in the audience may not know that Tim played an important role, a, a critical role, in one of the most controversial uh, UFO subjects of uh, modern times, and that's the MJ-12 controversy, MJ-12 documents. Um, he was one of the first to see these documents. The, the controversy has erupted again, if you've seen the new, the latest edition of the MUFON Journal. And when we come back after this short break, I'm going to ask Tim about his role in this and where he falls uh, in, in terms of the ongoing controversy between Brad Sparks and uh, Stanton Friedman. So stick around. We'll be right back with Coast to Coast AM. Welcome back, everyone. I'm George Knapp. This is Coast to Coast AM. We're talking with British author Tim Good, whose uh, new book, Need to Know, uh, fascinating uh, new insight into the worldwide UFO cover-up. Tim, you know, um, I, I'm a journalist. I'm not a philosopher. I, I can't even begin to try to figure out uh, what is in the minds of these aliens, uh, where they're from, why they're here. But there are some things that, as a journalist, I can follow, and that's the paper trail. Uh, there, There are... As you know better than anyone, perhaps, uh, there's a, a solid paper trail, government documents, secret reports, secret statements and memos from um, our military and our government, your military and your government. They're, these are documents that were never meant to be seen by the public, which describe the, the, the military's true take on UFOs and this mystery. You, you include a lot of these documents in this book, Need to Know, including this Nathan Twining memo, September of 1947, uh, in which he basically says these UFOs are real, right? Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's nothing spectacular about that, but I mean, that's official. You know, the phenomenon is real and not something visionary or fictitious. That's what Twining said, and uh, that, that is the official 
military position, and I'm, I'm surprised that more people don't, don't, don't cite that. I mean, that, that goes back to September of 1947. What are the, in, uh, in your research, what are the most uh, telling, uh, uh, provable, genuine documents from the inside that, that indicate what's really going on? Oh my goodness, I wouldn't know where to start, George. I mean, there's, there's so many. Um, one of the things that's published for the first time in my book is, is a, a British report, which was only released by the Ministry of Defence last year. And um, this relates to sightings in March of 1993 in the Midlands, the, the central part of the uh, United Kingdom. And there were two Royal Air Force bases at uh, RAF Shawbury and RAF Cosford, which were penetrated by unknown objects. And these were the, 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 the very large triangular type. And I've got two pages of this uh, uh, report, which is uh, dated April of 1993. And it says that um, some of the reports state that the object was moving at a very high speed, while some say it was hovering or moving very slowly. Many of the reports refer to the object being very large, flying low, and making a low humming sound. My staff have spoken to a number of the military and police witnesses, many of whom commented that the object was unlike anything they had ever seen before. And um, um, the meteorological officer at RAF Shawbury reported seeing the object projecting a narrow beam of light at the ground at a height of four to 500 feet and estimated the size of this object at somewhere between a C-30, a cargo plane, and a Boeing 747, when it passed over his head at an estimated 4,000 feet. Um, and it continues, it concludes, in summary, there would seem to be some evidence on this occasion that an unidentified object or objects of unknown origin was operating over the, U the UK. And mm -hmm. so it goes on. So documents like that, are, I think, are, are, are fairly conclusive, in my opinion, at any rate. You have a, one in this book, a 1949 Air Force Intelligence Report, talking about multiple intrusions over military bases, nuclear bases, yeah. things of that sort. That, that's another telling one. Um, yeah. We've seen uh, memos in, uh, as late as the 1960s where Air Force uh, um, higher-ups uh, put out these uh, orders that, that, that indicate that UFOs are, quote, serious business. Yes, I've got the actual, I've reproduced the actual um, uh, order that was that was posted on, on all United States continental um, Air Force bases, uh, saying just how seriously the subject, you know, it, you know, saying that the press ridiculed it. But this is this is this must be rapidly identified as serious Air Force business, and um, and, and it goes on and on. I mean, again, this is all official stuff uh, from your government um, acknowledging that we're dealing with a reality here, and I'm surprised that the president. Uh, pick up on this more often. But let me say, talking about the press, George, I think um, listeners should know that, um, if they don't know already, that uh, there was a big article in the, in the Post, Washington Post, Sunday 21st, yesterday that is my time. Um, and I'd like to know whether it's actually in the newspaper itself or just online, but there's a, for the first time, I, I think, in the Post in recent years, there's an, a, a serious article by Joe Heim, Washington Post staff writer. It's called In the Orbit of UFO Enthusiasts. It's been posted on the net. Um, I, I get it via Google Alert. Yeah, I've read it. Yep. You read it. I, and it, you know, it talks about Bob Swiatek and uh, a lot of serious researchers. And there's, 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 there's not much of an element of ridicule about it. And, and I find, I'm, I'm very impressed by this. I've, I've, uh, I have sort of posted a comment to Joe Heim, but I haven't had 
heard anything back yet, you know. But, um, well, you know, you, we have these, uh, you know, this paper trail. It's very telling. It, it's very serious, and, and it sort of paints it in black and white that, that there really is something going on, and our military has known about it for a long time. But one reason that the, the press people... Uh, reporters may have trouble uh, pursuing this is because there are other documents that pop up from time to time that yeah. uh, uh, whose provenance is less uh, solid. I mean, exactly. the MJ-12 documents. MJ, you wanted to ask me about MJ-12. I do. I, it, the reason it's uh, it's timely now, it, I don't know if you've seen the current issue of the MUFON Journal, yeah. but you were there in Denver when yeah. the, Brad Sparks got up and delivered this scathing uh, report about the MJ-12 documents and where they came from. His basic uh, theory is that uh, Stan Friedman, Bill Moore, Jamie Chandray were working on the Roswell story, doing all this research. At the same time, uh, the information was being routed to the Air Force through Bill Moore, this agent named, intelligence officer named Rick Doty, and that he, in fact, was feeding it back to them in the form of these documents. He would yeah. take their information and create this. Do you, where do you come down on this? Well, it, well, be, well first of all, let me say that, I, I, as you know, I was the first to publish the, the Majestic 12 documents. Right. Um, I was amused to see um, Brad Sparks comment that I received my copy from Rick Doty. That's absolute. Um, so it makes me wonder, you know, how, how much of the rest of his article is pure invention. Um, that is not the case. I have never released the name of the person I did obtain my documents from. But it certainly wasn't Rick Doty. I've, I've, I've never even met him. I've never communicated with him. I've tried to, to, to meet him, but he's not interested. But um, and I, as I have said, in most of my books subsequent to Above Top Secret, I believe the documents are fraudulent, but that there was a Majestic 12 document and that the whole purpose of the exercise, the people who, who fabricated the document, was to smoke out the real MJ-12. And they were successful in doing that because several people confirmed that there was a, a Majestic 12 or an MJ-12 or a Magic 12. Now, one of whom was Dr. Eric Walker, who was a British physicist and a Harvard graduate, um, and he was former Executive Secretary of the Research and Development Board, Chairman of National Science Foundation's Committee for Engineering, and so on, and President of Pencil Penn State University. And this is in a recorded conversation with Bill Steinman in 1987 confirmed that he'd attended meetings at Wright-Patterson concerning the military recovery of flying saucers and, and um, occupants, and he confirmed the existence of MJ-12. So, would, uh, would Sarbacher, I beg your pardon? Thinks, would Sarbacher, Robert Sarbacher, uh, would he be on that short list of people who've confirmed it? Yes. Um, in, not, not sort of directly, but certainly indirectly, and other people have confirmed that there was definitely a Magic 12 on MJ-12. And um, um, I mentioned um, Andy Kistner, the, the, the former state representative for Las Cruces, who gave me a lot of information. He believes, and I've published it in the book, that the acronyms MAJIC and MJ-12 could have been formed from the Manhattan, short for Manhattan Engineering District, Joint Chiefs of Staff Integrated Command. Project Y of Division Z, Group 12. Now, I won't go into all that's all rather com complex, mm -hmm. but um, I was in touch with uh, Sandia Laboratories historian, uh, Rebecca Ulrich, um, for my research in, into, into all this, and she said she's never, she, no records pertaining to anything like that, MG-12, Magic-12, or Majestic. But I think another possibility suggested by uh, Dr. Wood, uh, who, of course, is... Uh, very much involved in the majestic um, control
controversies that magic was formed from military assessment of the Joint Intelligence Committee, and that sounds uh, quite quite possible as well. But it remains clear to me that there was definitely a, 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 an organisation of, of of that name. Um, tell me this: you, you mentioned that you know you're not going to tell us who your source is, where you got the uh, the MJ12 documents from. You you know it wasn't from. Uh, Rick Doty, is it? Is it at all possible that your source had some contact with Rick Doty that Doty might have fed the the documents to he or her? I'm I'm sure it's possible. Okay. Um, So, so, do you believe that there is an MJ12 now, or something like it? By whatever name, yes, I do definitely. Do you have uh, any kind of proof, or is just a feeling that there? I don't have any proof. No more of a feeling that there would have to be someone that would handle this stuff. Uh, absolutely no question about it. What's your take on Colonel Phil Corso? I think he's on the, on the level. Unfortunately, he didn't check the manuscript before it was published, so there are a number of errors and things have been slipped in by his co-author, um, which um, are not quite accurate. But I think essentially, yes, he was absolutely on the level. Moreover, People have tried to tell me that Corso had nothing to do with the National Security Council. This is this I've been able to disprove because I have the actual um, military his military papers, which confirm that although he wasn't on the National Security Council itself, and maybe that was just part of the the the, the manuscript he didn't check in his book, he served on the intelligence staff of the National Security Council's Operation Coordinations Board. Uh, later known as the Special Group 5412, then Special Group 5412-2, which which planned, coordinated, approved, and evaluated the most sensitive covert paramilitary and clandestine operations ever mounted by the United States government. So that's what Corso was doing. Top secret work as an intelligence officer at the National Council, but he didn't actually stand on the National Council, the Security Council itself. Right. And now, you know, one of the, the main criticisms of Corso, he, he had said that uh, that technology, that materials from crashed or recovered saucers had been sort of filtered out to industry, to national labs and things of that sort. And of course, the critics have said, no, nah, that's a bunch of baloney. We developed this stuff on our own. There's a there's a paper trail to show where uh, you know, fiber optics and things like that came from. That's but right. Absolutely uh, right. Well, Corso's take on that was he told um, a friend of mine, um, who is very well informed, he told that person, scientist, that that was not what he... he his position was that um, they actually farmed this stuff out to the American Industrial Corporation at a time when people were starting to work on this. So it wasn't as described in the book. Um, so, so the critics are absolutely right, but Corso himself was very upset that that's the way it came across in the book, and it's not what he, what he maintained. You know, you and I, uh, we started our conversation with uh, talking about disclosure and, and how it might work and why it's unlikely. Uh, it, it, this uh, this topic came up while we were in Denver. Um, you know, there are a lot of groups in the UFO field who are pushing for congressional hearings as if that would somehow be a revelation and, and it would be, you know, a smooth sailing after that. What's, what's your take on c- congressional hearings? Uh, possible, likely, unlikely, uh, un- unproductive? Listen, I've been involved for decades, um, periodically assisting congressmen, a number of your, your congressmen in, in inquiries with the object of getting closed hearings. Um, e- 
one of them has been stopped or has, has otherwise sort of ground to a halt, um, occasionally un in suspicious circumstances. And I'm not going to go much further than that, except to say that Congress is sewn up and there are not enough people with enough guts to, to pursue it because uh, they will be discouraged, to put it that way. To put well, it mildly, I think they will be discouraged from, from having anything like uh, um, closed hearings with the object of, of uh, opening up information. I think I've spoken to some of the same people that you've uh, you've spoken to. I know that there is interest among some uh, elected members of Congress in this topic, but it's got to be on a very quiet level. And, um, you know, just from a pure political standpoint, they'd be crucified uh, for showing an interest in a topic that so many people think is, is goofy. The other thing I worry about is, and maybe you can comment on it as well, is the, the existence of, of uh, highly vocal... Uh, UFO groups who would raise hell if they were left out of any congressional hearing. And these, these are groups who uh, uh, have very controversial beliefs um, that are not even shared by most of the people in the UFO field, perhaps created specifically for the purpose of, of deterring congressional hearings. Yeah, quite likely. I go along with you. Um, tell me about the book now. Is it available here in the, in the States now? It was now? published on Friday, George. Or the, well, the 18th, anyway. When was, when was the 18th? Was that Thursday, Thursday, Friday. Um, and it, it should be in the shops. I haven't had any reports yet uh, otherwise, but uh, it, it is over, it, it's overdue by quite a number of months. So I know people have been frustrated in trying to get it. And um, of course, you can get it on Amazon um, uh, for a cheaper price and, and so forth. But uh, it should Eddie. be in the bookshops. And uh, um, if there's any problem, um, you know, you can you can put people in touch with me. If, if, if okay. Well, need to know UFOs, the military, and intelligence by Tim Good. That's the book. Uh, any chance you're going to do a, a book tour? Are you coming over here to, to speak? I, I wish, but I can't afford it. Believe it or not, unfortunately, I'd love to do that, and um, I'm cooperating with my publisher uh, as best I can in, in promoting the book. But um, I shall certainly be over uh, in the states um, next year. Um, you're working on another book already, or can you tell no, us? I'm still recovering from this one, clearing the debris, all the research material. And is your publisher, you know, I know you've, this is a different publisher for you this time? It is, yes. Uh, Pegasus Books of, of, of New York, and um, on my website there are details of how to contact them should, should any difficulties arise with um, obtaining books. And um, there's, uh, I can also send, if anyone wants me to send them the, the press release, I'd, I'd be glad to do that. There's uh, one other glad, question. I'd be glad to give any, any interviews um, uh, in, in people's local towns or radio stations or whatever. All right, there it is, folks. Uh, we're going to open this up to your questions for Tim Good in a minute. I've got time for one more unrelated to the UFO cover-up stuff that, you, that we're discussing in your book, Need to Know. It's about Skinwalker Ranch, which, is, of course, is something that I've written about, the Utah Ranch. And uh, while we're researching, the, the working on the book about uh, the strange goings-on there, we come across your reference to a similar ranch in Colorado. Do you? I know it's been a while since you looked at this stuff. Can you remember enough details? to know whether the comparison is valid? I think very valid indeed. This I wrote in my book, um, I believe it was Alien Contact, the one in the States, and they called it Alien Liaison. Over here I had a chapter on that. I think it was called Colorado Breakthrough, or just Breakthrough, I forget which, but 
but I found that very interesting, particularly since there was a U.S. Air Force officer involved, and it wasn't that far from the U.S. Air Force base, and these Bigfoot sightings, all manner of, of strange things, and uh, UFO sightings, and actual contacts with humanoid-type occupants, and I find that a very, very compelling case. So there are parallels with, with uh, the Skinwalker business. Any possibility that that was some sort of a disinformation campaign or psychological exercise, or do you have an opinion? <laughs> yes, it may well have been a psychological exercise, George, but, you know, the question is who, who's perpetrating it? I mean, uh, the aliens aren't above sort of befuddling us, and are they? <laughs> no, they are not, and neither is our government. Uh, Tim Good, uh, good chatting with you, but stick around. We're going to open up our phone lines, and, uh, and uh, listeners, I hope you got some got your a game on and you got some good questions for tim you know as we started this evening by discussing the passion that uh, that coast to coast listeners have for the show well uh show me how much you care about it put your thinking caps on ask some good questions at tim um because he's here and he's here for you we're going to go to the wild card line jim in pennsylvania jim what's on your mind yeah george good evening Listen, I would like to revisit your question to uh, your guest in regards to uh, our being able to shoot down technically advanced, or I should say technologically advanced craft. And I, I have a theory on this, and I'd like to uh, bring your guest's uh, considerable expertise uh, to bear on, uh, on what I think is actually happening. Okay. I believe that we do not have the capability to shoot these craft out of the sky and that what's happening is that we're more or less being swatted aside like flies or mosquitoes. And this is why we're having all of these uh, you know, crashes and such like that. And what's happened is that ever since that we developed, uh, since we entered the very beginnings of our technological age, that we somehow attracted the attention of various different species. And they discovered that we have some kind of resource that they want, and I believe that there's a competition going on amongst different species, and they're shooting each other out of the sky. Jim? Yes? I agree with every word. Good. Absolutely spot on. So, Tim, you don't believe that we have the technological capability of shooting any of them down? I, would, I, I don't think, think so. I don't think so. You know, they, they have the ability to travel either through time or another dimension or have broken the light barrier. If they're going to share that technology with us, they sh certainly would have shared a lot more than they already have. I don't think that we're ready for it, and I think they have the intelligence to recognize that. However, Jim, I do think we have acquired some technology which is being put to use in the weapons field. To uh, that I agree with, cross. yes. Yeah, I, I definitely do agree that there is some technology yeah. that we have acquired. And have you considered that we might be getting help from some, some species who are concerned? Because, as I said in my last book, I mean, unfortunately, which wasn't published in, in, uh, in the States, I, I, I sent George a copy, Unearthly Disclosure. Uh, the whole theme of the book was that there is a conflict on this earth between, not just between us and some species, but between the species the alien species themselves. And this oh, I, I, I completely agree with you 100%. And I've got a lot of evidence for that from reliable people who've actually witnessed um, uh, various various incidents of that nature in, in a number of countries. So I think that is, that is another part of the problem. But I agree with you. Everything else you said, absolutely. Um, we, we have got a chance in, 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 in heaven of, of knocking out uh, some of these, these craft. They'll just, they just swat us down like mosquitoes, as you say, if, um, if, if need.
needs be, and they have done so on hundreds of occasions. Jim, thank you very much for a good point and a good uh, comment. We're going to the east of the Rockies line. Brian in New York is up mighty early this morning, or mighty late, I should say. Brian, what do you got? Yeah, um, I had a question uh, basically about the, the uh, well, here, here um, if these people are as advanced as they are, my first idea would be that uh, to get this far out into space and that technologically advanced, they probably have to be able to work together and you know, not fighting amongst themselves. But what I don't understand is why our governments of the world, uh, seeing this technology, haven't gotten together for, A, either to see, they've seen the advances that can happen and that, you know, pulling all of our resources, we could get to that level and, you know, cure cancers and feed everybody. Or, B, if they're hostile, you know, wouldn't we have a much better chance pulling our governments together to to fight them if they are this advanced and just the idea that they're out there is just such a phenomenal idea that you know that would i would think precede any concerns over religious you know you know consequences let them get it over with yeah i agree i agree with you up to a point brian certainly i i believe that there has been collaboration between governments certainly um for example um president gorbachev confirmed that at the geneva summit in 1985 he and uh, President Reagan agreed that the Soviet Union and the, and the uh, United States would collaborate in the event of an extraterrestrial um, attack. That, that is officially confirmed, that statement. So there was collaboration. I don't know, it doesn't look very good at the moment, uh, collaboration with, United, with, uh, the, with Russia, but uh, certainly there has been collaboration. This is confirmed by a lot of scientists. And... Um, it's not generally known. I mean, this is officially now confirmed that in 1977, President Andropov of the Soviet Union set up the top secret, it was called Institute 22, that was the code name, um, for a top secret UFO research project that involved four million military personnel, as well as probably a million or so uh, civil servants. It was classified, highly classified. It lasted at least 10 years, and this has been confirmed by many... Um, military and scientific personnel and uh, the details of that are in my book and I think that there has to be collaboration uh, between the major powers certainly the nuclear powers on this subject but at the same time there's always uh, you know the, the, the sort of basic nature of humanity uh, competitive politics wanting to get the upper hand and to take advantage of, of, of um, other, other uh, countries on this planet uh, just to add about Institute 22, uh, I'm more than familiar with Absolutely. that. Since, uh, you did great work, George. Sorry to interrupt. You. You <laughs> no, that's okay. A lot of, a lot of your research is actually uh, mentioned um, in my book, as you will, as you will, I hope, have noted. Um, Oh, I did, and indeed, yeah. We were the ones that were able to dig up the first documents about Institute 22 back in 1993, and and, and you're absolutely right. There was an incident uh, that was mentioned, and also it mentioned in your book about a, uh, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, Brian, but it's an incident that happened at a Ukrainian military ICBM base where UFOs hovered over the base and basically disabled the missiles. It was almost like sending a message that... Uh, these may be your most powerful weapon systems, but they don't mean squat to us. Absolutely. Brian, thank you for your question. We're going to go to our first-time caller, Terry, in Nebraska. Terry, what's going on? Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Uh, I'd like to tell you, first of all, I've seen five craft in my lifetime. 
that are pretty much unexplainable with the exception of two. I seen a pair of the two triangles, black triangles, and they were very close. Now, I'm going to give you a theory, and then I'll take your comments uh, on the radio. Say, for example, the U.S. government or another government uh, in the world has either been given or captured the technology to create these on their own. They put them over the roadways in their own country, so they're very visible, many times, many places. They now have the perfect spy machine to go anywhere they want to go in the world, and nobody's going to point the finger at anybody. Uh, thank you, and I'm, I'm curious to hear what you have to say. Thank you. I'll tell you what. Thank you, uh, Terry, for the question. Uh, Tim, if you wouldn't mind, we need to take another break right here. Think about yeah. that, and when we come back, I'll give sure. you a chance to answer it. Okay. Uh, this, all right. Uh, so this is, uh, I'm George Knapp, and this is Coast to Coast AM. Stick around. Welcome back to Coast to Coast AM. I'm George Knapp. We're talking with Timothy Good, author of Need to Know. Just had a question from Terry in Nebraska. You want to tackle it, Tim? Now, it's very interesting what uh, Terry is saying, but, you know, is it possible some of these triangular, he, he claims to have seen five craft, um, including um, some he can't explain, such as uh, black triangles up close. I mean, I'd like to hear more about that. But before before uh, we, we hear back from him, uh, let me say, I, I think in, in theory, it's quite possible that some of these craft are indeed um, American uh, Black Project top secret aircraft or spacecraft. Um it becomes a very murky area. We're dealing with things that we're not supposed to know about. But let me let me quote from from uh, earlier on. I mentioned this uh, this extraordinary document, which was only released by Britain's Ministry of Defence last year, which refers to flying triangles, which penetrated um, not just British airspace but two Royal Air Force bases. And uh, let me just read the last um, paragraph of this previously secret document. In summary, there would seem to be some evidence on this occasion that an unidentified object or objects of unknown origin was operating over the UK. Given recent speculation about Aurora by both media and members of Parliament, it is surprising that so far um, this has not been taken up by the press or again by members of Parliament. Um, if there has been some activity of U.S. origin which is known to a limited circle in the Ministry of Defense and is not being acknowledged, it is difficult to investigate further. Um, so I think that, that, that says it all, really. There is consideration then. And that's 1993, quite a long time ago, about penetration by triangular objects. And um, I'd, I'd like to hear more about what you saw, Terry. Terry's gone. He's, oh, uh, he's gone. listening okay. on the phone. But I'll, I'll just add this, Tim. I don't know if you're aware, if you're familiar with uh, what this study that NIDS has done, the National Institute for yes. Discovery Science, which was based in here in Las Vegas and, and is now yeah. inactive. But they've taken a, a pretty hard look at the Black Triangle sightings. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and uh, what Terry was saying is pretty accurate. The, these things have been seen over major cities, over highways. Uh, as if uh, the whoever is flying them doesn't really care if they're they're seen by a lot of people. That's right. Yeah, and it's possible. Um, I keep an open mind that some of these are indeed American top secret aircraft and spacecraft. You know that Ben Rich, who who is uh, one of the heads of, of the famous Skunk Works, Lockheed, producing you know the, the U two and Stealth and so forth, has gone on the record. And I know one of the people who 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 um, this was told to. And I've, I've written it in the book. I mean, Rich said, you know, um, we have the technology to go to the stars. And he was very serious about it. He said, we're just lacking a few equations. And this was about 10, at least 10, 12 years ago. Uh, he said, we're just lacking a few equations, but we have the technology.
Boy, oh boy. Uh, we're going to go now west of the Rockies, Ryan in Vancouver. Ryan? Hi, how's it going? Yeah, I'll Morning. Just a, I'll just make up, Bruce. i got two questions yeah, for Nick. How's it going? Um, did you ever, by any chance, ever work with G. Allen Hynek or Nick Pope? And uh, that's kind of weird because you, you, you're speaking of uh, Kelso, Washington. I just live south there in Vancouver, so and that's kind of weird because my grandpa was out here and he told me about that before he died. But, yeah, I just I just want to know, and I'll, I'll take my answer up there. I appreciate it. Ron, can you tell me who the first person you mentioned? It just said Heineck. Yeah, Dr. John Heineck. I work for Project Blue Book from 47 to 69. I'm only 23, but I'm kind of a, yeah, I live in the past, so I'm old fashioned. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I met Alan Heineck. I never worked with him. Um, Nick Pope is a very good friend. Um, I don't work for the government, for any government. I'm completely independent uh, uh, reporter, if you like. But um, I will tell you something about Alan Heineck, and it, it's come out in the book. For the, in my new book for the first time and that is I have very reliable information that in addition to being consultant to the, the United States Air Force from the 1940s responsible for debunking nearly all UFO reports he was also uh, a consultant to the CIA's Office of Scientific Intelligence alright and that, that is in my new book Need to Know well, take it further. The significance of that being what? That you think he was that he was being directed by CIA to do the debunking? Obviously. Yeah. Well, it's entirely possible. But he did change his mind later in life. After We're gonna go... Yes, he certainly did. He did some very good work. I mean, the Heineck UFO report uh, is, has got some terrific stuff in it. I've cited it in my book. Uh, um, I think that started off with the famous Dexter, Michi Michigan things in 1965, you know, when when he became known as Old Swamp Gas for explaining away the sightings at the, at the, uh, the girls' uh, college, you know, as, as, as possibly, possibly due to swamp gas. And, you know, the Air Force got so much flack out of, out of that that they, they had to change their tune, and Heineck became much more conciliatory and, uh, of course, started writing books and formed the Center for UFO Studies. Okay, Brian, thank you for the question. We're going to go now to our wild card one line, Dale in Montana. Dale, what's on your mind? Well, hello there. Uh, I just have a couple of questions here. Um, I was just asking, Tim, have you ever heard of about a crash in Aztec, New Mexico? I've yeah. written a whole chapter on it, Dale. Oh, my new book. Okay, I've got a book from um, William Bill Steinman. And yes, so I've got the one, too. It's very, very good. Yes, and also, too, on the four corners of there, there uh, by by friends and relatives that worked in the Air Force uh, in the 40s. They said they were experimenting with radar equipment in the Four Corners. Absolutely, absolutely. I've got all, all the technical details uh, uh, about that particular radar site. And basically, I mean, the Aztec case of, of uh, I think it was March of, of 19, 1948, um, was actually far more important than Roswell. The craft was much, there was a craft which was in almost perfect condition. Yes, I have a date of 7-7 or 48. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah. And it was about 100 yeah. feet in diameter and, um, you know, there was, there was tons of, tons of uh, scientific data uh, extracted uh, from, from, that, from that retrieval, much more important than Roswell. Yeah, I'm just really curious because I've never heard of anybody talking about the radar and, and around the four corners and all the spacecraft that's been, been falling out of the sky because of the radar. Yeah. And the military had got so many of them 
they started burying them in and dumping yeah. them in in old mine shafts around in the Four Corners area. Yeah, right. Scott Ramsey has done a great deal of work on that, as has, as has my friend uh, John Andy Kissner. And um, the, the, I think I've got the details here from them, like the 767th Aircraft Control and Warning System Radar Unit was, was uh, based up, uh, that actually tra uh, that, uh, traced uh, the craft. And uh, there were other, other radar sites um, that probably, uh, you know, as they say, they're probably the most powerful radar sets in the world at that time, re requiring very elaborate safety precautions. So, you know, Tim, there are those who theorize that, that the radar had something to do with bringing down some of these craft. Interfering the controlling mechanism of the craft. I think that's quite possible. I think it's quite possible. Hey, Dale, thank you very much. We're going to go to Pete in one of my favorite cities in the world, Nashville. Pete, what's on your mind? Hi, George. Uh, good evening. Uh, good yes, evening. Uh, I was wondering uh, how long all this stuff's going to keep going on before somebody can actually uh, get our government or UFO land uh i guess inform everybody it seems like we're the only ones in the dark uh our governments kind of toss it back and forth yeah uh, like area 51 uh recently you know when they was hunting for stephen Fawcett, you know they found like six crashed aircraft and about a year ago art bell had an interview with uh well, somebody called in and was doing a flyover over area 51 and it was a crazy call and he started reporting how they were being shot at and everything and I was trying to advise the guy not to go in there. Then all of a sudden he disappeared. And like, uh, this aircraft, all these aircraft they found out in the desert there, one of them could be his. Uh, how long is all this just going to keep going on before somebody let something out? I don't know. I don't think two things, though, Pete. First of all, when we talk about governments covering up, we're talking about a fraction of people in governments who, who actually know what's going on. Believe me. It is such a sensitive matter that only those with need to know will find out something about it. And even then, it's all compartmented. So you're talking about, if you like, an inner government or a cabal. It has, it, it, it's nothing less than that, in my, in my opinion. And secondly, about, um, I think it was about five years ago, I asked a friend of mine in Washington how long it's going to be. I mean, he knows that I've been studying this subject uh, for, 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 well, since 1955, actually. And I said, you know, how long is it going to be before this, before this sort of stuff going to come out? And he just said two words to me, laughing. He said, stay healthy. <laughs> so, you know, that was five years ago. And uh, I think um, it's been pointed out to me on uh, several occasions. It, it has to be gradual. And even then, are we, going to, are we going to get the full truth? I very much doubt it. Do the aliens want us to know what they're doing here? Do you really think so? I think in some cases, absolutely, some of them uh, might. Uh, we, we have allies, put it that way. There are people out there who look uh, compassionately. Um, uh, at the human race, but there are others who, who are not are more interested in, in what their own needs. I'm quite sure of that. You know, Tim, that there are those who believe in some indications that perhaps the technology, the secrets, have been taken out of government, out of the purview, put into private hands as a further buffer between, uh, you know, the, the truth and, and us being uh, ever finding it out. What do you take on that? Uh, I think it's it's more than likely, George, quite frankly. There's got to be some sort of corporate and in individual uh, sponsors involved in all this that uh, are anxious to, to, to uh, uh, protect um, the, the status quo. 
All right. Well, Pete in Nashville, thanks for that call. Good calls. Good calls tonight, Coast to Coast AM listeners. I'm George Knapp. We'll be back in a moment with more of Tim Good and more of Coast to Coast AM. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for sticking with us. It's uh, been a fascinating couple of hours with Tim Good, the author of the new book, Need to Know UFOs, the Military and Intelligence. And, and Coast to Coast listeners, you're coming through with some mighty fine questions this morning. Uh, we're going to go now to our wild card line, Larry in Montana. Larry, you're on Coast to Coast AM. Hello, how are you? Good evening. Okay. Good morning, I'm sorry. Um, I had a question about Dr. Brown's sphere that was found, it's a quartz crystal sphere that was found in 1970 off of the coast of Bimini, and I feel that it is the key to cheap free energy and how the pyramids were built. And I wondered if you or your guest knew anything about the sphere and where it might be located today, and how come that the only object that was not from this world because of its characteristics and because of its uh, ten thousandths of an inch specifications couldn't be built in 1970 with our greatest technology and i will take the answer off the air and i want to tell you that i really appreciate the integrity and the focus that y'all are showing in the show well thanks larry you you've stumped me i don't know anything about this sphere uh, tim does that ring a bell with you it's out of my sphere too george <laughs> i have the faintest nice. idea about this thing at all Larry, we're sorry we can't answer that, but maybe that's something we're going to have to look into and uh, maybe delve into it on a future show. We're going to go to our first-time caller line, Ed, in Wisconsin. You're up uh, kind of early this morning, Ed. You're on Coast to Coast AM. Thank you. Uh, in your opinion, is it possible that some kind of understanding has been reached between officers in the United States government and one or more extraterrestrial powers? An yes. understanding that might have to be disclosed if there were a congressional investigation. Uh, yes, to both. That's my opinion. And uh, you don't care to elaborate? or? Well, I, I, I mean, he's right. Uh, there has indeed been a, a, some kind of understanding, obviously established, uh, since we are, that there is a liaison program. Of that, I know to be a fact. There is a liaison program involving a few military... Um, and scientific uh, intelligence personnel um, who liaise with um, a certain group of, of ETs. And it's been going on for quite a long time. I, I don't know a great, well, I have actually published uh, quite a bit. I've, I, I've gained some information that there, there are bases on our planet, many of them, and that some of them have been here for a very long time. In fact, one of the theories in my book that I I, I, I sort of lean towards is that some aliens have been on this planet for longer than we have. And um, if there were to be any closed hearings, um, this possibly might be disclosed, but um, um, Congress is not really um, in, 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 in any kind of control of the situation, whatever information uh, is given to them. Thanks for that call, Ed. Tim, tell me this. Do you... Um I can't remember if it's in this book or a previous book, uh, the the discussion about Eisenhower meeting face-to-face yep. -face with these guys at, at an yep. Air Force base yes, in Southern I, California. I've elaborated on that uh, due to little, you know, I've got a few more names of, of individuals um, involved in that case. This is February 1954 at uh, Edwards Air Force Base when um, Eisenhower allegedly, there was a, an arranged meeting, uh, several craft actually landed at, um, at Edwards Air Force Base uh, and uh, Eisenhower was there with some aides and uh, names are mentioned 
apparently one of the things that they did was to demonstrate their superior technology by making themselves invisible or, or and or their craft which uh, caused Eisenhower considerable embarrassment and he said hey guys I don't think we're ready for all this um, and um, they apparently these particular aliens were, were very human appearing apart from their remarkable um, abilities you know, that's always, it's always occurred to me that, that that wouldn't happen now. I mean, the Secret Service wouldn't allow the president to go meet face-to-face with some some potentially dangerous adversaries, would he? Would they? I don't know. I honestly don't know, George. But I do think that meeting did actually take place. There's, there's, there is certainly some evidence for it, and a, a lot of named people uh, were involved in that, both military and from the civilian world, like Archbishop McIntyre of, of Los Angeles. Okay, we're going to go back to the phones right now. Uh, Sonny in Arkansas, you're on Coast to Coast AM. Great show tonight. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Uh, Tim. Yeah. Uh, we met briefly in Eureka Springs last year. Oh, good. I hope you're, I hope you're coming uh, next April. I Great. Well, that was going to be one of my questions. I'm glad you had the best uh, presentation there, I thought. Oh, thank you very much indeed. Uh, I'm wondering... You were talking about the Secret Service and the President a minute ago. Uh, do you think that, that, that President Truman was hustled out of the White House in, in 1952? Or in the bunkers underneath it? I don't know. I don't know anything about that. I'm sorry. I wondered if anybody had ever heard anything about that. I, I'm, I'm sure he would have been. Um, I don't, honestly don't know. That'd be an interesting subject for a FOIA request, wouldn't yeah. it, if, uh, if there had been any incident like that, whether or not those, those files had cleaned out or not. Correct. That's uh, an interesting thought. Anything else, Sonny? No, that's it. All right, thank you for the call. Uh, we're going to take our last break, and then we'll be back with uh, more uh, questions for Tim Good um, before we call it an evening here. So stick around. I'm George Knapp on Coast to Coast AM. Welcome back to Coast to Coast AM. It's been... A lot of fun uh, speaking with uh, Tim Good, author of the new book, Need to Know. You've been asking some great questions. we got a couple of minutes left and a couple of more callers on the line. We're going to go to Bogey in Brentwood, California on the wild card line. Bogey, good morning. Yes, good morning, gentlemen. Amazing show. Uh, I'll be reading off a piece of paper. Uh, seem to take it for granted that we're being visited, and I have no problem with that. But even with our science, we know that the energy required to achieve any kind of interstellar travel or bending of the space and time, uh, is it really possible for living beings or beings that are perishable, which have a limited amount of lifespan, for them to travel here? Or would we be looking at uh, something that they call the Van Neumann probes, which is a sort of self-replicating artificial intelligence that time doesn't really matter for it and they could travel <clears throat> with the space with this of our shuttle and they'll still get to the end of the galaxy even in billions of but they don't they, there is no life involved in that could you comment on something well, I, I could, um, Bogie, the only thing i can comment on is, is that aliens if we have to believe their communications with us and thousands of people i believe have had communication contacts uh, with uh, alien beings, <clears throat> they say that um, their technology is so advanced that they can manipulate space and time, or as Einstein called it, space-time, since both are inextricably linked. And um, 
there's a lovely story I've got in, in my last book, Unearthly Disclosure, of, of uh, Enrique Castillo, um, <clears throat> South American contactee who was taken on board 